Welcome to Bitch Talk, Booze and Interviews, straight from the heart of quarantine. This is Ange, that's Aaron. Hello. We got Shar on the ones and twos. Don't forget to check us out at bitchtalkpodcast.com. You can also find us every Monday morning at bff.fm from 6 to 6.30 a.m. And this is our quarantine ritual. Welcome to our Friday happy hour basic bitch session. We're joined by super special guest, Miss Annika Wu, who is uh, my soul sister. I feel like uh, we were definitely destined to meet. She's super talented in all assets of life. Welcome, mm-hmm. Annika. Thank <laughs> you. Welcome back to the show, Annika. Yeah, I this know. is returning so guest. Under, yeah, returning very, under very different circumstances, as it were. <laughs> yes. <laughs> my former roommate, which Ange already forgot about. Yeah. I know. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but we're so happy to have you. You know, this is Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. Mm-hmm. So we're bringing on all the badass Asians that we have in our lives. So super happy to have you join us. Oh, and- I'm super honored that you guys think that of me. Thanks for having me yeah. on. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really wanted to get into, um, first, your immigration story, if you don't mind. <laughs> you moved here uh, as an immigrant, and I, w- I would love to hear just y- your moving situation and, and how growing up was for you. Yeah, um, so my, so going back before, so I moved here in 1992 with my family, and it was just with my sister and my mom. Um, my dad had already moved to the United States about four years prior to that um, because he had to secure a job. He had to secure a house, a car, and in order to bring the rest of his family uh, to the United States. So he moved here on a tourist visa and actually landed in San Francisco first, working in the back of Chinese restaurant kitchens. And as you guys are probably familiar with, it's a very you know, very hard industry to work in, especially when you're a Chinese immigrant at that, um, at that time, it was really grueling and difficult for my dad to adjust. So he, uh, decided that he didn't want to live in San Francisco. And he wrote a letter to my mom and was like, Hey, I don't want to be here. I want to come back to Hong Kong. Like, let's figure out another plan for this. And my mom wrote back and said, no, you're not coming back. You're staying there because our kids have to grow up in the United States. Basically, that's what um, Mm -hmm. happened. And then my parents had a mutual friend in Kansas and they had a restaurant and brought my dad over to Kansas City and he started working out there. And so he did that for a couple of years and that was, and he was able to solidify everything that he needed to do in order to bring the rest of us over. Um, I remember just growing up in Hong Kong, you know, with, I just remembering my mom and my sister always, I never really saw my dad. Um, there are little moments in life where that I still remember like playing on the playground, playing in our little apartments on the 19th floor and then all, and then skipping to laying down on the ground at, in the plane. And as we were coming to the United, to the United States. And then I remember looking out the window of the car, driving to my dad's house and seeing snow and thinking that that was so cool. Hmm. And then, yeah, we got to the house and I remember my dad gave my sister and I each a Barbie as like a welcome <laughs> present, Aww. which I still remember that whole scenario. Like 
the lighting, it was like yellow lighting around us. It felt very warm. And he brings out these like Barbie um, gifts to us. And we just, I don't think my sister and I actually understood what was happening. Um, And even throughout our whole lives growing up, we just kind of went with it. You know, like going to school in Kansas, we were the only, really the only Asians at school. And I remember feeling always wanting to fit in. You know, I was so conscious, like, or self-conscious about the fact that we were Asian and that we were different and we always ate different foods and people would always look at us and kind of underestimate my parents. Um, it was a very, you know, look, I didn't really think about this though until I moved to San Francisco, actually, when I was surrounded by Asians and I talked to people who grew up with mostly Asians in their lives. And I just found that to be so interesting because to me, all of my friends were white. They were, you know, I was always the um, minority, whereas people in like San Francisco or in the coast, they, you know, white people were the minority in certain communities. So yeah, I felt like though I was very blessed in the way that I grew up because my parents provided a house where even though we were Asian, you know, they gave us everything that we needed, that we wanted in life, like, you know, pay for our whole college expenses, um, basically allowed us to do anything that we wanted growing up, like going to birthday parties. They saved up so much money to make sure that we didn't feel out of place. And so I feel very, like a lot of debt to my parents. You know, they worked so hard in order for us to live the life, you know, live this quote unquote American dream that my sister and I are both living right now. So, yeah. I love that. I'm just trying to imagine, because what you've told me of your dad, you know, he's a very humble, quiet, hardworking man. I'm just imagining him shopping for Barbies and it's the cutest thing. I know. I know. It's such a significant gesture, right? To buy a bar of all things. I know. Like, okay, this is what American kids have. So my daughters are going to have it too. Right. Annika, do you mind sharing one more story that you shared? I think it was probably a drunken night (laughs) at Wood Street that you talked about your name, your name, Annika, because that wasn't your name when you came over here here from China. Yeah, it wasn't. So my real name is Lei Quinn. So Lei Quinn Wu was my last name. And when we moved here and I was in kindergarten, <clears throat> our teacher, both my sister and I's teacher, mentioned to my parents that we should get American names because Lei Quinn and Lei Wa, which is my sister's name, was too hard to pronounce. So, which looking back now, I just, it almost makes me, it just makes me a little, you know, like angry because that's the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. You know, when I think about it, your name really does define you. And Um, the fact that my parents felt the need to get us to choose a different name and just kind of surrendering to that, um, is really eye-opening thinking about it now. So my name was at first for a year, Susie Wu. And then my sister's name was Julie Wu. And then I don't know. I kept the name Susie Wu for a while. There, I, I think my parents still have like plates that I drew on that, you know, where my signature was Susie Wu. But for some reason, my mom, like a year later, was like, maybe you should change it. 
change it to something else because Susie Wu, I don't know, maybe just sounded a little bit too Hello Kitty-ish, which I'm very <laughs> thankful for, to be honest, because I can't imagine waking up every day and be like, hey, it's Susie Wu. I mean, it's a cool... What's wrong with Hello Kitty? There's, a, there's nothing wrong with Hello Kitty. <laughs> but you are not a Susie. Yeah. But I'm not a Susie Wu. And I, I, I still remember... I hear on a pickle, maybe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Carol, Carol, Carol. Um, <laughs> Don't get me started. It's like one of my first Little thoughts. twin stars. Okay, let's go. Let's change this whole episode. Okay. Oh my God. Yeah, so I, um, I remember flipping through the book again, once again, and I didn't want to do it. And I stumbled upon the A's and I luckily picked the name Annika. And that's just kind of, I mean, it was so random. There was no logic behind it. I just thought maybe that sounded cool. You know, I was probably around eight, like eight, <laughs> maybe eight years old then. And that is how, that's how I got my name. Annika is arguably harder to pronounce than Lay Quinn. Just saying, because there's Annika, <laughs> yeah. there's Annika, there's, you know, right. potato, potato, tomato, egg. tomato. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I just know. couldn't. I was going to ask, were, were you called your American name at home? Um, my parents do sometimes, but usually because they speak to me in Cantonese, they call me um, Legun, which is Quinn in Cantonese. Mm. So they'll call me by my Chinese name, but sometimes they'll say Annika, like in public, they'll say Annika. Mm. Um, yeah. But my sister actually, she doesn't go by Julie anymore. So once she went to college so she went to smith college out in boston massachusetts and she um decided that she didn't want to move forward with carrying julie Wu around and now she goes by lewa Wu. Mm -hmm. and only i call my mom and i still call her julie because now it's become a habit right that i right. see her as a julie but i know she cringes every time I'm like Julie and everyone else around us. So I was like, who is that? Like her partner even <laughs> he would even look at me and think that that was so weird because by association with her, you know, with her community, it's it's Le it's Lewa, and it's been like that for literally ten plus years. So yeah. I'm trying yeah. to phase myself out of calling her that, but um, one day, one day, yeah, one day, one day, yeah. It's like yeah, I got to train myself. I love that though. I feel like that happened to me too. Is I didn't have to change my name or anything, but going to college kind of opened my eyes to like, wait a minute, I'm Filipino. I should be really proud of this. And I should, mm -hmm. because, you know, like, like you said, when we're kids, we really just want to fit in and you don't want to have the weird lunch and you don't want to, I, I didn't even want my parents to come in to pick me up because they had an accent and I was mm -hmm. very aware of that. But it wasn't until I was in college that I was like, wait a minute, this is something to be proud of and to embrace. Like, w was that the same for you? Yeah, but I don't think that I embraced my ethnicity until very recently. Um, like, you know, maybe three years ago. And for a very long time, I think I just, my whole life was just trying to be better. You know, China just, you know, just fit in. It was always trying to fit in, trying to blend in, trying to um, figuring out what that term being an American really meant. But I always felt so divided because I knew this culture that, you know, it was my family, but it was also my family in China that I knew there was some sort of disconnect. I had some sort of disconnect with. And then there was this life that I have in America you know, and the way 
way that people perceive me that I was trying to uphold, you know, as this, as this like good American Chinese Asian. Um, and I felt like I was trying to grasp, like hang on to that side of me rather than focusing on who I really was um, as an individual in this country. And it isn't until now where I sit here and I, and I'm finally understanding just how different my upbringing was, you know, to move here when I was a kid, like understanding fully just how much my parents sacrificed for us to be here and, you know, making sure I'm not living a life where, you know, yes, I am very privileged, but to, to really take all my experiences and kind of figure out how to move forward in life with this. I don't know if that makes sense, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I think it's just recently where I've started to really think about that, to think about my contribution to, um, the, to like the Chinese community or to just being an immigrant, having that sort of identity and embracing it as a part of who I am. So yeah, I think I think a hard part uh, for me, and and this is probably it, it hits harder for for you. I'm, I'm assuming is that the narrative these days of what an immigrant is is something to be feared, is mm-hmm. someone who's dangerous, somebody who who who's trying to take and and hurt us and and take our country down. And then we hear stories of your parents, and the same with mine. You know, coming here and just trying to work and just really wanting to work really hard and and be free. Uh, and so it's really hard, particularly now, to be of, of Asian Asian descent, to hear this narrative of immigrants, and it's just really hurtful. And um, it's clearly from people who know know nothing about immigrants. The experience, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think you really have to go through it in order to really understand it. Um, I mean, for me, it took me years to get to this point to really appreciate and want to understand, especially my parents' story. Um, I feel like my whole life I've been trying to, I've always wanted to just prove to my parents that I am, that I'm, you know, that I'm, it's basically taking their dream and wanting to fulfill it for them. And I know a lot of Asians, like Asian Americans feel that way too, because I think for me, it's like the reason why I even considered wanting to go into medicine when when I was in college, it was because of the money aspect, because I know that's like my parents' goal and thinking about how much they suffered and how much they um, worked in order for my sister and I to have this opportunity to be here. It's constantly running through my mind. Even now, you know, even now, like as I'm thinking through the best way to start my own company, I think about them all the time. I'm thinking about how am I going to get to a place where I can take care of them, where they can be proud of me, where I can be someone that they can brag about. And even though those are not realistic, those should not be something that I, I should worry about because I know that they don't want that burden to be on me. It's still something that is an unspoken thing within Asian American immigrant families. Um, so yeah, it's, it's hard. It's, diff- it's difficult for, I think, outsiders to really understand just the extent of what it means to be a child of an, of an immigrant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's definitely layered. Um, 
I, okay. I wanted to talk with you because there is the whole story about your um, growing up and your family and your parents really wraps into your, um, your vision for your, your career um, in terms of, I don't want to, do I talk about the jerky? Can I say jerky? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> jerky. yeah oh, I, I'm ready to talk about jerky. <laughs> I, I do want to, um, can we rewind a little bit? And you left California and went back home for a little bit and um, just to help out your parents and, you know, figure out what your next move was going to be. But can you talk about getting into the, the meat biz? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> I'm not going to pressure you into talking anything you don't want to talk about, but no. I have loved watching the story evolve through social media. Um, oh, thank you. And, and a little bit jealous of it. Uh, <laughs> really honest. So um, go ahead and feel free to share whatever you want to share. Yeah, it's been a wild journey this last, you know, year and a half. Um, but, you know, it all started from Ange. You know, remember when you, it all started. I was going to introduce. <laughs> yeah, Harris's jerky. Harris right? Ranch's jerky. Yeah. I mean, I was thinking about that. And I think about it all the time because I'm always trying to look back as to oh, no. what is happening. And I still remember you know, saving the jerky, putting it in the refrigerator. Like I keep, I kept some in my car, you know, in the compartment, like, un, like by my passenger side seat in case I got hungry. I mean, and I would just take little strands off and eat little strands at a time. And I just thought I have never done this in my life to anything <laughs> else. It's like, this is a really special jerky. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I do want to say thank you, Ange, because the part of the reason why I'm here is because of that. And I think about it all the time. <laughs> How ridiculous. <laughs> I'm honored. Uh, so it's, it's, yeah, I mean, it started with that. I, and I just, you know, the more I thought about this jerky and um, tasted it, I just started thinking about you know, what makes this jerky so good? And I started doing research about it. And then I started to kind of dig into the meat industry um, because I was reading articles about Harris Ranch. And, um, you know, it's not a horrible, uh, it's not a horrible meat manufacturing. It's not the worst of the worst. It's, it's, it's not the worst of the it's worst. It's not the best. And it's right. I mean, they the used worst. to provide meat for to in and out burger so that's not terrible they, yeah so you know I think it's just everyone is a little bit taken aback when they realize when they're driving up and down I-5 and they realize that stink that they smell is from Harris Ranch right. um, so I think a lot of people have issues with that but um, they really are not the worst they're they are one of the biggest um, meat facilities here in California and they provide a lot of meat to a lot of restaurants here um, so they're definitely very relevant. But anyways, going back to that moment when I was doing research, I just kind of, that's how it all started where I, you know, whenever I do research on things, I, it just kind of snow, snowballs. So I just kept getting curious and curious about, all right, well, you know, I'm not really, I don't know about uh, how I feel about the way that they treat their cows. So there has to be a way where you can use better meat and have it taste just as good. So I started by... I actually bought a dehydrator. I made that decision decision to just buy one. Um, so I can try to just make my own meat, uh, my own jerky, and see how that goes. And I remembered I remembered I was living in the sunset 
um, apartments like a little, like a couple months before I moved and I would make like one pound batches. I mean, that was the dumbest thing I've ever done. Like so rookie. <laughs> I mean, I'd have jerky just up the walls and you know and it was like way and, too salty and just dream I know yeah. thanks for calling yeah. a friend thanks for calling a friend during that no time. but it was awful so I would be buying these like pounds and pounds of meat like multiple pounds of meat and doing all these like single batches per pound and then I would taste one slice and it would be just awful just awful and I'd have to throw most of it away and I but yeah, that was definitely a rookie mistake. But from there, I started just, um, I started taking butcher classes because I wanted to learn more about the meat. So I went to to Fatted Cat, uh, which is a butcher shop up in Napa. Um, and they do really great stuff. And they had this all women's workshop um, one day and teaching women how to butcher um, half pigs. So I went to that and that was in October of 2018. And that kind of sparked that curiosity of learning more about meat in general. Um, I just didn't feel like if I wanted to eventually turn this into a business, I wanted to know what I was doing and what I was working with. And I also wanted to separate myself from all the other jerky makers at home because there's millions of them. Mm -hmm. um, as you'll find like online, on Instagram, everyone makes jerky. So, um, I wanted to take that to another level and eventually decided to take an actual training course in New York city, which is what I did right when I left San Francisco, I flew to New York city and this was, um, beginning of January, 2019 and took a month long course with them, like intensive course with this really renowned butcher shop named Flesher's. So they do whole animal butchery there. Um, if you ever watch Bon Appetit's uh, How to Break Down a Whole Sear, um, Jason Yang is the teacher or is the instructor in that video. And he was my instructor and he's was so knowledgeable and he's just, you know, such a wonderful um, sort of mentor at that time. And it was such a good introduction to the world of butchery because on top of being in New York, which is the epicenter of, you know, sustainable meats and um, regenerative farming, it was good to be in that environment. I actually visited farms while I was up there just to kind of get a little backstory about these animals that were being, um, that were being sold in these cool butcher shops in the city and kind of immersed myself into that world and learning about uh, that side of meat. So right after that, I got a job in Kansas City, Missouri at a local butcher shop called Local Pig. And, and I don't even know why they hired me, but I, you know, all I did was <laughs> I emailed the owner. I emailed the owner and I was like, hey, you know, this is my experience. I've only done, you know, one month of training in New York at Flesher's. I'm an aspiring butcher, jerky girl. Um, and you know, I was very honest about my goals. Like I want, wanted to eventually start my own jerky company. And, um, but before that, I want to learn as much as I can about meat and, um, learn about butchery in the first place. So he teamed me up with a head butcher there. And for, you know, the next seven months I worked alongside Jimmy, who was the head butcher at local pig. And, he, and we were butchering 
I mean, it was nonstop for 10 hours. I would do that for two days straight a week. And then I would work two days upstairs at the butcher shop um, just so I can be a little bit more familiar with, with the cuts. And yeah, that's what, that was my whole time in Kansas city, just literally going to work and going home. And it was, it was amazing. Like it was hard, but it was so amazing. But yeah, being, you know, this girl, this little girl at this, <laughs> at like the butcher block with these massive, like, you know, I would be in charge of breaking down cow legs. So it'd be like these huge, Jesus. oh my gosh, it was crazy. I mean, Wait, you're sawing heavy, down the right? bones. Heavy. Like, yeah. And there would be moments when I'm, I mean, I, there would be moments when I, wanted to prove to myself and everyone else because it was majority male I was basically the only female who worked there um probably only to... Asian only yes, Asian female yeah Asian female. let's be real <laughs> I know I know they, they look at me and they're, they're like what the heck I mean anyone who I tell to that this is what I do they're you know they're still just like I don't believe you <laughs> what? but there would be can't make it up me. Annika <laughs> no, no. <laughs> that shock factor though I mean it's, yeah. it's pretty funny yeah um but yeah I mean there would be moments when I just wanted to prove to everyone else that I could do it so I would go into the walk-in freezer and then try to lift a, a leg by myself <laughs> and, then, and then I would be proven wrong because I would be there and the leg would just be falling on my body and I could feel it slowly just you know, sliding off of me and <laughs> almost touching the ground. And then somebody would walk in, I'd be like, um, can you help me? I mean, it was so <laughs> <laughs> there would be so many moments when I have to tell myself like, okay, you know, only do however much you can do. Like, don't try to lift a whole pig by yourself. Don't try to lift a whole cow's leg by yourself because, you know, I'm not, I can't. And it's, that was a moment when I learned, like, I've got to ask for help and I have to stop being so stubborn about, about this. And yeah, but it was a good wake up call. <laughs> and, oh, go ahead, Ange. No, no, I was going to say, it's just, it's, it's so cool to hear this story because for anybody thinking who's ever thought like, I'm interested in something, but I'm too old to learn it, regardless of what your age is, like you just dove head first first. Like I'm interested, this is what I want to do. And because you were just so razor focused on your goal and so specific about your goal, all these opportunities have just come to you. Now you're working as a butcher in LA, you know, mm -hmm. at, at the, at the, at the downtown market, which is just, it's such a, that's a place to be if you're working with food in general, you mm -hmm. know, let alone as a butcher. I mean, uh, it, it's just crazy how these experiences just come to you. I love it. Yeah. I mean, I think if anyone is have has thought about switching careers or know what they want to do the only way to do it is to not think much about it because if you sit too sit too long and you're contemplating and you're you know kind of going through all the pros and cons like you'll never do it and i was mm -hmm. scared shitless i'm not gonna lie like i there were so many moments when i wondered am i making the right decision you know, I was making no money working in Kansas City as a butcher. And it's still an industry that, you know, I feel very nervous about when it comes to finances. And I'm trying to figure out a way to see how to make it work where I'm not um, flailing and still be able to do what I want to do. But, you know, you can't, 
at the very beginning of anything, you got to make some sort of sacrifices. And I sacrificed living in California and my paycheck and um, to be able to do this. And now I have no regrets about it. You know, like I have no idea what's going to happen moving forward, but I definitely have no regrets. And this is the one time in my life where I've, where I feel like I was actually in control of my own life and, Mm. you know, and doing something that um, really sparked my curiosity, you know, and, and that hadn't happened in a while. It had been a long time since I felt, since I felt this way. So definitely worth it. That was inspiring. Yeah. You could just end sure. there. Well, I actually, oh, is it time to end? Seriously? I'm not Almost, done. But, but that's yeah. okay. No, no, no. But I, can you now talk about your process of your company and how you're sort of getting the product out there a little bit and, and also about the spices and yeah. how that, that how you're bringing that's it back part to of the, roots. yeah. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> this jerky company that I'm creating, I mean, I'm still at the very beginning stages. I'm not in like a hurry to roll anything out until I know that it's exactly how I want it to be. But ultimately it's, um, you know, I want to create a a jerky brand. It's going to be like an elevated, you know, jerky product. Um, And it's going to be focused on Asian flavors, like flavors that are influenced by my parents' Chinese cabinets. It's going to be influenced by, um, obviously other Asian flavors. Um, I've been experimenting with a lot of, you know, flavors kind of like, um, like kimchi flavors or like, um, gojujang flavors, or, you know, I would ask some of my friends, like, what are their favorite, um, dishes growing up? And then I would kind of grab inspiration from there. So that's kind of how I start in my, um, research and development process. Uh, now that I understand a little bit more about the meat industry and understand the different cuts that I have um, that I can utilize in jerky, uh, it's definitely helped in the whole process of recipe um, creation because, you know, once you, I won't go into the specific details, but, you know, most jerky companies, they use the hind leg, which has the least fat. Um, It's just easier because, you know, jerky for the longest time was focused on something that lasts for years because mm-hmm. and back then people needed it to be salted. They needed it to last for a long time because they were taking it on long journeys. Um, like cowboys, you cowboys. see mm-hmm. Exactly. But now, you know, we're at an age where, you know, we're not going to be, unless we're going camping, we're not going to let jerky sit on our shelves for a year. Or you never years. know. You never know with the pandemic. I'm just saying. You're right. You never know. That is very true. That is very true. You might want to use this moment and uh, that is to figure that out. We have refrigerators though, so right. Yeah, Yeah. for a year. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I think for at least like a year, that's good. But we're as a consumer, we're moving towards this industry where we want fresh, good products, like things that are good for your body. And obviously, I mean, I just never believe in you know, eating something that's two years old. Like I would never just want to do that because it's not necessary anymore. So I want to create something, like I said, it's going to be at a higher level. It's not going to be something that's going to be able to last for three years, but using fresh ingredients, like hand-picked salts, hand-picked spices, um, very intentional, um, you know, 
very intentional ingredients. And for me, I feel like simplicity is key. So I don't want to create a product where it's just going to be a million of different ingredients in this jerky. I want it to be simple. It's using, you know, quality salts from, you know, either our West coast, like Northwest side, or, you know, bringing in salts from Japan or from, um, you know, from China, maybe like, um, I just want to make sure that whatever I do, everything can be traced back to where the source is, Mm -hmm. um, even the meat. So nothing will overpower the taste of the meat. Um, I'm also not, you know, I don't mind fat. I don't think that fat is a bad thing. That's Um, flavor. That's flavor right there. So yeah, it's going to be, it's really exciting. I mean, it's still, I'm still working on the R and D process. So Mm -hmm. it'll still be a while, but right now I'm doing a lot of extensive market research and, uh, staying, trying to stay up to date on what's happening in the snacking industry. Um, especially among like Asian Americans, you know, a lot of Asian Americans love to snack and they there's are, a lot of snacking going on right now. There's too. a lot <laughs> of snacking going on and there's no, you know, the cool thing is that even this is the only positive thing that I'm going to say about this, um, about the pandemic, but there hasn't been a hit in the snacking industry, especially like right. the turkey industry, um, mm-hmm. during mm-hmm. this time. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's definitely something that's, you know, at least at least I got that, <laughs> but yeah. Well, not only that, yeah. but you're just, you're breathing new life into this industry. One, mm-hmm. the, the whole butcher industry, you just expect an old <laughs> gruffy or, but you're just yeah. so bubbly and energetic and full of, full of life. And, and I was doing some research on like top uh, jerky companies and reading their mm-hmm. about pages and it's all the same. I mean, no, no shade, but it's like your, your story and your origins is so unique and, and mm-hmm. I cannot wait to try this jer- jerky. We're so excited. Thank you. <laughs> we, yeah. Once myself and I. This, yeah. I'm going to definitely send you all samples once this quarantine and pandemic has lifted. Um, just so you guys can get a sense of, you know, what the product tastes like and I'll have to get some feedback from you as well. But yeah, you're right. It's um, going back to the butchering industry. I've had moments when I, when I go to work and people just look right through me they go straight to the guy, 100%. You know, my yep, coworker who's that. a male. Yeah. yeah. And because they don't, they just don't trust, um, they don't trust my word in this because how could I know? Cause I'm like a woman and I'm this little Asian and you know, that definitely motivates me to work harder so I can understand better about all the meats. So then nobody can ever look past me again. <laughs> so we're <laughs> That's mm-hmm. a good way to end this podcast. Um, yeah. Annika, thank you so much uh, talking about your, your life story and now your jerky story. We thank really you. appreciate it. Yeah, second time on the so show. Fun. Good job. Second time. Hopefully uh, the third time my business will be eating. Yes. Your jerky on on air. So Yeah, yes. our, our listeners are going to get the, the jerky exclusive. From yes, your company. Absolutely. Don't worry. Jerky exclusive. <laughs> I'm talking so about jerky excited. a lot. I mean, yes. generally speaking. And me. In general, so. well, next time you guys do, you guys have to call me. Obviously. Cool. This is like my whole life now. So, 
Yes. You're first. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com. It's a brand spanking new website. You can also sign up for our email there. Please, please, please do. We just sent out our first one this month. We will be sending uh, one out in June. You can also watch videos and subscribe to our YouTube channel. It's brand spanking new. You can also find us every Monday morning at bff.fm from 6 to 6.30. Boing, 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 boing. We are powered by GoTo Productions. Bitch, please. <laughs>